Uh, welcome to the Five Elements Podcast. This is going to be episode two after our first one, which we released last week. This one, the first one was just kind of like a welcome to the podcast episode. This one is actually going to be a Our Biggest Gym Fails kind of series where we're going to talk about kind of the biggest mistakes we've made in our fitness journeys, how we've learned from them, kind of the mindset we were in while we were doing it. And hopefully you can learn from them as well. Maybe you'll resonate with it a little bit. And hopefully we can kind of have, have a laugh and learn from our mistakes is kind of the goal of this episode. I feel like when you see people on social media who seemingly like have it all together, you forget that it took them a long time to portray that image. Yeah. Um, we did not always have it together by any means. No, not, not at all. I mean, I started working out when I was like 13. Oh, God. So I definitely did not have it all together. And if I think back to where my mindset was then to now, and even what's even more embarrassing is a couple of years ago. And this has been a theme <laughs> I've kind of found throughout my life where I think every six months or one year down the road, I look back at myself six months or one year back and I'm like, that guy knew fucking nothing. That's and the epitome of growth. Yeah. I, and I, I realize that that's a good thing, but it's also a, a, a forever humbling thing. And we're going to take a, a deep dive from the early days and also to like maybe even a year ago where we still are continuously figuring things out. And hopefully if we do another episode like this a year from now, we can even reflect on today and think, man, they were doing some things, some things I would not recommend now. Definitely. It took me a long time to sort of figure it out. And the process was definitely through trial and error. Yeah. Um, a lot of trial and a lot of error. <laughs> a lot, an excessive <laughs> amount of error. So much error. So I guess let's go with number one. Okay. Start um, us off, Sammy. So Dylan and I share this one. We both definitely went down this path of under eating. Yeah. <sighs> that was one of my biggest mistakes for yeah. sure. And yours. So we'll both kind of share our stories here because they're the, the 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 crux issue was similar, but how it presented was a lot different. So Sammy, let's talk about you and kind of your eating history. And compared to what I've only seen you eat a lot, so yeah. ever since I've known you, you've been a pretty big eater. And when you tell me about how you used to eat when you were younger, and this is like only a couple of years ago, it's mm -hmm. kind of mind blowing where you are now. So give us a rundown there. Okay, so for some context, I am barely five feet tall. She's I'm, four foot eleven, and I'm not. I'm I, barely. I, I literally measured it. But. <laughs> and who trusts your measuring skills? I'll do it again. Ugh. So, yeah, I'm I'm little, and <laughs> because <laughs> of that, when you look at the like general calorie recommendations, um, twelve hundred is the number that floats around a lot for women. Yeah. Um. So I assume twelve hundred calories sounds about right for someone as small as I am. And though I couldn't sustainably eat that little, I definitely tried to eat as little as possible because yeah. the story is eat less and move more, right? Mm -hmm. So I moved more and ate less. And I just kept doing that. And I kept doing that. And I kept doing that. And it's amazing how for a type A person, you might start off at like 1,500 calories, but week by week you shave off a little bit and shave off a little bit and shave off a little bit. Yeah. All while accumulating more training volume, more cardio, um, more steps too. So more out and less in. More out and way less in. And over time you get to a place, and I know I definitely did, so many of my clients have too, where you end up 
exhausted and frustrated because you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm still not where I want to be. I'm not even close. And you're you're sacrificing seemingly so much to, oh, yeah. to achieve not, not much. Yeah. Like you're not going out for dinner. You're not having drinks with friends. You yeah. are cutting out your social life to make room in your life for you to eat less. Yeah. It was exhausting. It was so, so damaging to my perception of my body image too, because yeah. you're like, how do I keep spinning this same wheel over and over and over again? Um, yeah, I got nowhere. Yeah. I got nowhere with it. And it wasn't until like I got myself a coach. Yeah. Sammy was the one of the first people I knew that actually worked with an online coach. Yeah. I, um, I desperately needed somebody to take control because I couldn't be trusted anymore. I was like, for some reason, I'm just not building the muscle and I'm not making any progress in the gym and I'm tired all the time. Like nothing felt good anymore. And he was like, yeah, so we actually need to do the exact opposite of what you've been doing. And yeah. one of the main points of that was in building up my calories because they were way too low given how much output I would undertake. So I think I wasted about like three solid years of my training journey and I threw them away to over uh, to under eating. Yeah. Honestly, like I did not build the muscle I wanted. No. I did not see the training progress I desired. Like I went next to nowhere until I let somebody else take control yeah. and until I started honestly eating more. Yeah, that's a big one. Like you can be spinning your wheels doing that same thing that wasn't working, but you know, it's almost like the devil you know. So Control. Yeah, it's control. You continue to do it. And letting go of that control is seemingly the consistent thing that gets people the results that they want. Yeah. Um, find, supporting, like finding an environment that allows them to do it, potentially having more support, community, et cetera, but like giving up control to some degree, especially if you're someone who's been spinning the wheels, controlling everything on their own, giving up that control and letting someone else help you, guide you, and then just actually buying into the advice, which Sam did, can mm -hmm. be transformative because she'll tell you what she just said. And I can't even imagine that because I've only known her how she is now. So to imagine her, you know, eating 1300 calories, 1400 calories a day and she lived in Vancouver, so cycling was her big activity, and she was doing very intense cycling every day. Like, yeah, seven days a week. So her output was higher than it is now, and her input was almost, it's not about, it was about 60% of what it is now. Yeah. So it's hard to imagine that, and that's a process of years of letting go of control, changing up your, your patterns, your behaviors, your routines around food, and then going from there. So that, that can be transformative, but it kind of all starts with letting go of a little bit of control. Yeah. And also like not honoring that mainstream diet advice yeah. where it's like women should only be eating, you know, 1500 calories a day or 1600 calories a day. It's very weight loss centered and yeah. focused rather than like muscle gain focused. And yeah. my issue wasn't so much in how much body fat I was carrying. It was how under muscled I was compared to where I wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, Alan Aragon had that great post recently where mm. it was like, more people are actually under muscular than they are over fat. A hundred percent. And yeah. that was me. It wasn't, I'm a small person. Like yeah. I was not carrying that much extra weight. I was like the same weight I am now. Yeah. But my body composition was phenomenally different. Yeah. Um, even when I sort of left uh, endurance cycling and got more into weightlifting, I, I carried the same habits, right? Yeah. Like there was, n I was not putting my body in a 
an environment that was conducive to building muscle. No, not at all. A lot of cardio, lower calories. You were vegan at the time too, I was right? vegan. So typically a little Low bit lower. Low protein. Yeah. Um, um, not to say you can't get enough protein on a vegan diet, but it takes a lot more effort and planning than a typical oh, yeah. omnivorous diet. And when you're on lower calories, it's even harder because there just isn't as many vegan sources of protein that are yeah. really high protein without other carbs and fat. And the like vegan diet that I subscribe to preached very low protein. <laughs> so <laughs> low protein, zero resistance training, tons of cardio, oh God. low calories. And I'm also type A. So when you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it and do it well. So when you say 10,000 steps a day, my brain hears, oh, so 10 is good, but 20 would be better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More is more. Kind of more is more always. Yeah. Yeah. It was so detrimental to any progress that I could possibly have made. Yeah. And it was wild that the moment I started working with a coach and I just completely surrendered control to him, within weeks I saw changes in my body. Yeah. Like it was so quick. Yeah. So quick. And it was just because I finally was doing the right thing. And some so people simple. won't see it that quickly. No. You did. Um, but I, but knowing you, your compliance was probably like 100% yeah. the whole fucking time. It was. But in general, like... That is another thing that gets keeps people on this rat race of the same thing, the devil they know, spinning their wheels is a lot of results in fitness will be slow. And yeah. I like to, the verbiage I like to use around it is instead of looking for results, you're looking for adaptations. Yeah. Right. Physiological adaptations in your body. And that verbiage alone will typically make you think, oh, yeah, that's probably going to be slower mm -hmm. than thinking, oh, I want results. I want mm -hmm. results quick. Mm -hmm. And results inherently can be immediate. Right. If you think like, oh, I did this stretch and now I get deeper in my squat. That's yeah. an immediate result. But there is no immediate body composition results, even though it's marketed at an alarming rate. And that is a part that's a part of the control, giving up control of your belief that that can happen. Like I am going to do something that will change my body composition this week. Mm -hmm. When in reality nothing meaningful is going to happen within water a week. Water weight. Yeah, water weight is the biggest thing and that's but. why some diets thrive in getting new people because in the first week they'll lose a lot of water weight and then they'll be like, oh, this fucking works. Well, yeah, look at keto. It's Keto's the epitome of losing water weight. Yeah. But also like you're not going to likely, at least the way that I see people doing it, they're eating a lot less fiber. Yeah. So there's a lot less going on in their GI. So less they might just feel less full, less yeah. bloated. I mean, I think we, we actually talked about this the other day. Like sometimes people forget like – when we think of grams, grams of food, mm -hmm. right? That's that's a weight. We mm -hmm. think of like, oh, 30 grams is X amount of calories, but that's still 30 grams. Yeah. And if you're eating more food, you're typically eating more grams of food. And if yes. you're not processing it at the same same speed because it's a bigger influx of calories, maybe mm -hmm. more fiber you're used to, you can very realistically hold another pound of food in your body. Absolutely. Via the water content of it, the fiber content, anything you haven't processed yet, that can increase your weight pretty quickly. Yeah. Even though like I had a client who, he was, we drip, dropped his calories a little bit, but the strategy was like more whole foods, mm -hmm. um, preparing his meals. So the scale didn't move for a little bit. It stayed the same. And I was like, you're eating less calories. The weight's probably coming down. What has happened is you're probably upped the amount of food you're eating by like a pound a day, yeah. just by the sheer amount of extra uh, fiber and produce that you're eating. Right. So the quick change isn't going to be there as much as like body composition changes happening. Yeah. The scale is probably the most detrimental yeah. Uh, to results of anything. 
you have to be patient. Like you have to look yes. at it like a stock. What's the trend over time? Don't just like anyone who's into finance. If you look at your stock on yeah. a day to day basis, you're going to go insane. You're gonna be like, this is I lost ten dollars. Then I made a hundred. Then I lost three hundred. It's obviously yes. not that volatile, but it, it has that level of volatility that like trading stocks. Well, have. that was kind of the crux of my issue because I knew that I was eating way too little given my yeah. output. But the moment I honored my appetite and ate a little bit more like let's say i had a really hard ride that day i'd be like oh my god i'm exhausted i'm depleted i'm gonna eat a little bit more because i need to compensate for like the three hours that i sat on a bike and yeah. rode uphill um and the next day i'd get on the scale and the scale would go up yeah that feedback oh you, yeah you didn't know what it was i had no idea right so you would the, the default thought was oh my god i gained weight when i eat more i gain fat regardless of like and it's it's that immediate they think they would think yes. that it is right even though it's not like if you i got fat overnight was the story i told myself so tell us about when you decided to because you did this with with your coach yeah when you ate more and consistently ate more what what happened with the scale what happened with your mindset <laughs> and what kind of made you buy in even though maybe the immediate feedback wasn't what you were looking for well after let's say three years of doing my own thing and having it all in my hands I realized I was getting nowhere yeah. so that surrendering of control was really important because I actually honored it like I actually decided nothing that I do or think or tell myself to follow is working for me yeah I cannot be trusted Clearly, I was like the last person on this planet that you can trust to get you from point A to B is you at this point. Yeah. So give it up to someone else. And believe me, he heard an earful of complaints. Like I you coached it. Oh, for sure. Okay. I was compliant. Like I'm the most compliant, but I, I will complain about it. So yeah, that, that, I, that holds up. <laughs> yeah. Like I would eat more and we would check in weekly. Um, and let's say one week, like he would raise my calories. Yeah. So we were doing a slower. And you were like, fuck that. Uh, we were doing a reverse diet and I really didn't like it. But week by week, we would incrementally increase my calories a little bit, a little bit and a little bit. So yeah. um, some weeks, my body within a few days would kind of regulate. Like at first I'd see like a scale increase, a bit of fluctuation. I would feel kind of defeated for like, let's say three to four days. Yeah. And then it would just level out like nothing ever changed or yeah. happened. And watching that happen week after week was so interesting. For sure, there were low weeks. Um, there were weeks where it would sometimes take um, definitely more than four days for my body to regulate again. But it was this wild experience of eating more, seeing the scale go up, feeling really defeated by it. And then one day waking up, weighing myself and seeing that my weight came back down to where it was. I had no concept of weight maintenance. I had no concept of like scale fluctuations to that degree. That wasn't actually that talked about. Like no. th this is a newer thing. And even I can admit as a coach, I wasn't as aware of this as I should have been because yeah. At the gym that I was at, we would do kind of monthly weigh-ins on this fancy scale that would, it was a little bit better because it would qualify, I guess, quantify body fat percentage, yeah. uh, total body water, et cetera. And you could just track the trend over that over time. But, you know, I did, we did the weigh-ins at different times because whenever the client would come in, that's, that's yeah. what we were confined to. So, you know, and honestly, I, as a dude, I was pretty ignorant to the, eff the effects of the menstrual cycle too. And I had a lot oh, of God. female clients. So, you know, month by month, I might have a client come in in the afternoon while not on her cycle. And then the next time she comes in, she might be on her cycle in the morning, 
And then the next time she just had a big meal. Yeah. And like, there's all these different variables that I had no idea to equate for. And then we'd be sitting like, oh, what's going on? And I'm like this, looking back, I'm like, that's a big mistake on my part as a coach, not knowing better. And no one really talked about it. So that was a big learning, learning uh, yeah. curve for me is like, you know, if you want to assess changes, you need to control variables and more data points, the better. I, like, it was actually, Daniel was the first guy I ever seen to advertise a daily weigh-in. And at first I was like, wait, why, why, the, why the hell would you do that? And then- That's Rosen Train on Instagram, yeah, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was, I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. This, it, was, I, it made intuitive sense, but I actually never really thought about it that way. And I don't know why, like with PTs, we never discussed it. That might have been mm-hmm. more of an online coaching, more of a dietitian kind of approach. It's a contest prep thing, right? Oh, okay. It yeah, comes I was from never a bodybuilding physique competitor kind of style world where week by week you monitor those fluctuations and see if you've either maintained, lost, or gained. Yeah. And from there, you decide, am I going to push calories up? Am I going to keep them the same? Am I going to drop them a little bit? And one of the biggest variables is the menstrual cycle because yeah. – every month, that's an untrustworthy data point because you know that like every woman's different. Yeah. Um, also, every cycle can be different. Like month to month, things really do change. Some months you'll have terrible PMS and bloating, some months you won't. Yeah. So there's like almost a guarantee for a woman with a menstrual cycle that for one week out of every month, your data points are going to shift wildly and they almost can't be taken into account so that was a hard one to wrap my head around always still is hate it yeah you do hate it i don't weigh myself anymore so it doesn't actually don't yeah it doesn't actually play on my mindset because i don't really care i don't really see the scale as a tool of measurement or progress that i care for at the moment that's actually been an approach I've been doing more with more clients. If a client is like, it doesn't bother me that much mm-hmm. and it doesn't, I'm like, okay, well, we can use the scale because it's very useful in a lot of contexts. Yeah, right? for sure. See how your body's, res- especially if someone is very compliant, you can use it to kind of correlate with any weight trends. Okay, when you're eating X amount, this tends to happen over a period of weeks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if a client is showing like a lot of reaction to it and mm-hmm. like a negative reaction, Probably. I'm like, listen, we don't need this. This journey should be more to give back to you and mm-hmm. right now that daily weigh-in is taking more from you than it's giving back to you. And there are other forms of progress that we can use to measure. And if every time you step on the scale, if it goes down, you're like, this is a good day. If it goes up, it's a bad day. Mm-hmm. That's not, you don't have a great relationship with that tool. And that's okay because a lot of us have historical issues with that scale. Like if you maybe were an athlete, especially for, for um for women athletes, like if they mm-hmm. were put on a scale in front of a male coach and then judged, like you got to eat less. I've heard that story countless times. Yeah, That's kind of traumatizing. And I wouldn't want to relive, make a client relive that situation. And it's just not worth it. You can do pictures. You can do circumference measurements. You can yeah. even have non-body related goals where it's all performance based. My and habit favorite. Based, right? I actually think that a very common story is the one that I told before about how every time I ate a little bit more, I would wake up in the morning, weigh myself and the feedback from the scale um, would lead me to believe that eating more means an immediate weight gain. So I I fear the scale from that perspective often because I think so many women get stuck in that same negative feedback loop. Um, So I just find pulling it often really is helpful. It depends. It depends on the person. Yeah, I have some clients who are totally cool with it. Yeah, we use it and it's useful data. It's a useful tool to use to pro- uh, measure progress. But then I have some clients. I'm like, this is just. 
it's not worth it. The data we're getting from it is actually causing more mental distress than it mm -hmm. is giving us valuable data to adjust your program with. Well, for you, it wasn't really about the scale per se. I don't think you were scale driven, but I will yeah. say as somebody who was well-versed in the world of under eating when we first started dating and I like mentally did the math on how much you were eating in a day. I was like, he's a big guy. Like yeah. there's no way he's eating enough. So, okay. So, so I, <clears throat> I, uh, I did have a scale <laughs> issue for sure. Okay. I didn't know anything about the scale though. So what I would do is I would, I would actually under eat all week and then I would build <laughs> up this anticipation that, okay, on Friday I'd step on the scale at Equinox yeah. on the, um, the in body scale and I would expect it to be low. Yeah. Right. And I actually, I remember, and I'm not like this nearly the same degree anymore. So it kind of, it's strange to reflect on, but I would spend all week under eating and I had this, this is going to sound super strange to anyone listening. So I had this really weird, um, and I've talked about my binge eating issues and I've talked about my issues around my relationship with food. But when I was really dialed in with this, I was, my eating window was like from 6 a.m. to like 3 p.m. <laughs> I would eat dinner at 3 because my work would be back to back pretty much till 1 or 2. I'd go home and then I'd have my last meal at 3, maybe 4, and then I wouldn't eat the next day until the morning. And I, I actually kind of wrote an article about this on the website. Yeah. About, it was called Eat With Your Kids. They might learn more than you think. Um, I think that's what it was called. But it was about how in my childhood home we never ate dinner together. Yeah. So I don't think we ever had one meal together as a family in our at our dinner table. We might have done it with fast food. We might have gone out for dinner at a restaurant a couple of times. But my mom, my dad, my sister, and I sitting down at the dinner table and having a home-cooked meal literally never happened. So I never had this emotional attachment to dinner. So I never cared to eat dinner with anyone else. And I just kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. And I, for some reason, do better not eating later than I do. I'm way hungrier in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes I get snacky in the evening just out of pure boredom, but like pure hunger pangs, I'm going to get those in the morning, early through the day. And then at the later of the day, I'm, I'm going to only eat out of boredom, but I don't really have a hard time not doing it. So I would eat, a, finish my meal at three or four and I'd be like, shut it down for the day. And I did that for longer than I can, longer than I'm proud of. Cause I'm like, that is a strange eating behavior So strange to the point that like I was dating someone for dur during, I was doing this and we never ate dinner. Cause I was like, Oh, I already ate. I got three or 4 PM. <laughs> And I just act like it was normal and I never had dinner with anyone, right? And if I did, like, it had to be because we were going out for dinner kind of thing. So was that kind of to complement the under eating? Um, it was a way for me, there was a couple things at play. Like I maybe thought, I, I did think intermittent fasting was superior at the time. Okay. Because I, I, I had had success with it in the past. Right. But I didn't know why it was successful. I attributed the success to the intermittent fasting protocol when really it was the actual principle of energy balance that yes. was allowing me to lose weight. And an intermittent fasting protocol for some people can help them eat less. But for me also, it did both. It helped me eat less, but it also really helped me build up this inertia towards a big binge. It so was I also a boundary, right? Ba and I'm good with boundaries yes. if, they're, if they're hard set. So there was some positives there. So back to the point mm -hmm. with the scale, I would I would let this go all week. And then on Friday, I would like get on the scale and it would be if it was a win, oh, it would be so good. I'd be so happy. And then sometimes it wouldn't be the number that I wanted because I didn't understand weight fluctuations. And then I'd be super disappointed. But the amount of emotional energy that went into like anticipating the scale is mind-blowing to me now. So... What you're saying is 
if you hit that low number or the number that you wanted, Euphoric. was that, but then what? Like what behavior came from it? Was that like the permission that you needed to go full send for the weekend? But here's the thing, like, <laughs> no, yes, it, it no but here's the thing. There was, I could spin anything to like, it was because that's the thing with having a an unhealthy relationship with a numbing agent, like yeah. food, alcohol, et cetera. So with alcohol, for example, if you're sad, have a drink. If you're happy, celebrate, have a drink. Have a drink. You can find any way to rationalize doing it. So I, could, I would do the same thing with food. If I saw a new number and the scale dropped, re let's re celebrate, reward time. I yeah. earned this cheat day. If I didn't, well, fuck it. It's not working anyways. Why am I being uh, why am I going to be miserable over something that's not even getting me the results that I want? So all roads lead to sending it. One hundred percent. Every road let, let, <laughs> every road leads to Uber Eats in my like sad brain. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So then that was my thing with the scale, and then it propelled me to undereat on weekdays and just like really overeat on overeat on weekends. Mm. Like I would make weekends about food. And this was, I didn't always do this. Mm -hmm. It's usually like if I was drinking a lot, mm -hmm. then I would just make it about that. I ended up eating anyways because when I'm drunk, oh man, like I can eat when I'm drunk and I will find any reason to. But if it was around, um, if I was, there was, because I, in the city of Toronto, I didn't have family here really. Like mm -hmm. some of my family's more on the outskirts and this is a big city. So you can live in this, it's one of those cities where you can live in the same city as someone and feel like a million miles away from them. Mm -hmm. So there was points in time living here where I felt really lonely and I would spend those weekends just binge eating and watching shows and playing video games and like escaping the world. And TV shows, food, and video games are great escapist tools for me. Mm -hmm. And then there was times where I was like firing all cylinders and I, and I was being more social and I felt a little bit better. And then there was times where I was channeling that need into social interactions around drinking. So then I would just get fucked up every weekend. So it was something along those lines. If I was, there was a couple periods where I got really lean. And mm -hmm. when those periods were the ones where I didn't binge on weekends. Okay. That, and here's the thing. That was a feedback for me. Like, oh, the, the key to me getting lean is like dialing it in on the weekends, which that is actually the key for most people. With during my worst days of binging, that was that was the kind of, I, I'd, I'd have this internal dialogue like, okay, if you just get through one weekend, that will then... So that will then snowball into the next subsequent weekends and then I'll, I'll reach my goal. But it was it was about getting that one weekend in as like the big hurdle. But how did that impact your social life? Um, I would either not go out mm -hmm. or the strategy that always worked for me was eating really slowly. Okay. Because you know I, I eat really fast. You breathe food. I had a tray of sushi, 30 pieces the other day in 10 minutes. I had not even finished eating a salad. <laughs> yeah. So eating, okay, in, in my defense, I'll always defend myself. Of course. Because it's just what I do. No, but in my defense, sushi, you can't eat it slow. Because like, what are you going to do? Ha eat half a piece of mackie? Like, you're going to put the whole roll in your mouth because that's just the easiest, not the whole roll, the whole piece. Because that's the easiest way to eat it. If you eat it half of it, it's just a mess. Uh, so that's 30 bites. And that's how I rationalized it. But in general, oh when I eat slower, I'm way way more dialed in. And that's actually been two things. That's one strategy that's always Okay. Helped. So, okay. How did all of the under eating contribute negatively to your performance and to your fitness goals? I mean, I was never adequately fed to train hard. So yeah. then training became – and there's – a lot of these things work in feedback loops. Right. So you eat less because you're trying to lose weight. And there's there's a – 
there's a threshold to that where it's like, you know, there's an acceptable amount of deficit where you cannot hinder performance too much. Mm-hmm. Unless you get super lean. If you get super lean, this is just going to happen regardless. But for average people, mm-hmm. a manageable deficit might impact training performance a little bit, but it's not going to be too yeah. bad. But I was in a huge deficit. Like I've eaten like 1,800 to 2,000 calories per day. Contextually, like my maintenance was probably 3,000 to 3,200. So with that, I was on huge deficits, but deficits, but I didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, because I, th- like a lot of people, I thought my maintenance was way lower than it actually is. Yeah. Like, I was a pretty muscular, young, active guy who was a personal trainer, and if I do seven sessions in a day, that's on my feet for seven hours, but Unloading moving weights barbells. around, right? So that's kind of like a manual labor job to some degree, mm-hmm. not a construction manual labor job, but it's manual labor, mm-hmm. and I would undermine that and think, you know, what's I'm I'm sedentary, lightly active, and I have a slow metabolism. So then I would just be on super low calories. So given the fact that most of my workouts were done while being underfed, yeah. miserable about it, and attaching my workout specifically for the reason of body composition. So I'd only be working out to look a certain way. I wasn't working out because I had lost my path where I loved working out. I had no strength goals that I was working towards, et cetera. So this feedback loop was less calories, Worst relationship with exercise, mm-hmm. feeling shittier while exercising, only further feeding how much I didn't want to exercise. All of this while being a personal trainer. So the pressure of having to be a fitness guy was always there. And this was just spiraling and I, I did not handle it very well at all. And all of it just to be smaller. Just to be smaller. Yeah. That's what we all do. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, people often don't see this through the perspective of how it impacts men. True. You know what I mean? Like eating disorders and disordered eating are often talked about through the lens of how it impacts women. In the fitness industry, that's completely different. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's just a fitness industry thing, be. to be honest. Like I've been around enough guys and it's it's presented differently. Yes. They're not going to talk about it in the same manner. But I've been around guys where like they'll talk about their eating habits. And I listen, I'm no one to, I'm not qualified to be like, oh, you have an eating disorder. But I, I'm versed enough in this that I can be like, oh, there's some, something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And that's, as I've gotten more educated on this with myself and just kind of reading about it and reading some research on it, it's more common than mm-hmm. I actually think. Well, you notice the red flags like in people's verbiage and the behaviors that you can see out in public. Yeah. They leave all these little red flags and then you quietly sort of intake that and realize this person is not exhibiting like healthy behaviors around food or their body. Yeah, for sure. And it's just so much more common than we're led to believe. Yeah. Ugh defeating. Yeah. So that was my kind of journey with under eating. And it took um, what did it take? Actually, watching Sam eating a lot of food, mm-hmm. and like, and I've always I've I've talked about this a little bit. Like, role modeling is huge, and yes. I think we really undervalue the role, the role of role modeling, but the value in it, your community, your support system, the people you look up to, and the people you model yourselves after. Because we all we all kind of want to be our own person. Like, listen, I can do this. We were, mm-hmm. we were talking about this yesterday, actually, where I think a crux issue of being a human is realizing like who you are in certain environments and that because there's a there's a there's a drive to like listen i can be different i can just Mm -hmm. i can be the outlier and to be the outlier all the time is fucking exhausting and i've always said like we know the outliers we know their names i don't know if it's fair to expect everyone to be like that but what can make it better is if you're in in an environment that actually supports you doing better a community 
a partner who, who supports you, a role model that you can mm-hmm. look up to and be like, okay, they're doing it. I can do it now too. And I used to think like, you know, I can just do whatever. But the, the historical evidence is if I have solid role modeling that I can look up to, the likelihood of my success really does increase. And Sam was that role model for me when it comes to eating, even though I had been a coach for like seven years longer than she had. Yeah. And I mean, look at the difference between both of our natures, yeah. right? Like I am like a military sergeant True. and you are a little bit more malleable than I am. Yeah, absolutely. So... In my family home and when I hang out, like if I go over to my mom's house, you know, she has some not so good eating habits and behaviors. Um, Like it's Thursday and there's ice cream and cake in the world. See, that's my kind of lady. Yes. So she'll look at me and she'll say things like, come on, you're not being fun. And I'm dialed in. I want to hit my macros. It's a Thursday. I'm not celebrating anything and I don't even want cake. But for some people, having that person who's in their sphere going, come on, eat with me, be fun, that's enough to be like, okay, I'm going to eat cake. Yeah. I want to be fun. Or you can only set so many boundaries. Like yes. you say no once or twice, mm-hmm. and then you eventually give in. And I know it, personal responsibility does come into play here. Yes. But, but peer pressure is a thing for a reason. Like if you are consistently pressured into something, upholding that boundary Twice, okay, 15 times, it gets a little bit exhaustive. Yes, but now you're a husband and a wife. And in your home that you share with your partner, even though you're on a diet, they want to keep all the ice cream cake and cookies in the house. Yeah. And maybe for one day you can white knuckle your way through saying no, but maybe it's a really bad day today. True. And it gets even harder and harder and harder. Yeah. Your environment has an enormous impact on whether you fall into a a habit and behavior that you don't want to or not. 100%. Um, And for some people, it's a lot easier to say no. Yeah. It's like the we talked about driving forces. Like what matters more? For me, it mattered more to be compliant. But for somebody else, it might be more important to like emotionally regulate with food. Yeah. That's me. Like I emotionally regulate with food. So – I do know that if I was with someone who did that to the same degree or even more, that we would just feed off of each other, right? And it would take, <laughs> You'd feed each other. <laughs> first, we would literally, and there would need to be a drastic change for us to like come out of it together and in that mm-hmm. like theoretical relationship. But with you and I, like you're a lot different in certain areas. I'm a lot different in certain areas. And that role modeling is really powerful. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, I probably have never eaten better in my life. Mm-hmm. never eaten as much. I eat more now on a daily basis than I can ever even imagine. And that's because I saw you do it. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's possible. Like you don't always have to be on a diet. You were pretty casual about it, but you were still, you know, high protein, a lot of, a lot of whole foods. Mm-hmm. And for the sake of liking them, which I still am not on the same board of when it comes to veggies. Yeah. With fruit, yeah, but not with veggies. I, I fucking hate veggies. I but love that role modeling has been super powerful for me there. Yeah. And I don't know if I would, I don't know where I would be. And I've said this to you. I don't know where I would be right now, especially during COVID, during the lockdown. If I was alone during that time, unsure about my future in this industry, about where I'm going to make my money, about all of the things that most people were scarce about and scared about. If I was alone through that and hadn't worked through some of this stuff, I really don't. I would have been, my eating, my disordered eating probably would have been at an all-time worst. Um, I've read reports that disordered eating was phenomenally 
um, accelerated through COVID. It was one of the few a few ways we had to numb and escape. Like we yeah. were pretty much trapped in our homes watching shows. Like when I I was like I was eating a actually I was eating a box of pizza a day in the first month of COVID. Remember, <laughs> every night for dinner I would just get How a medium could I box. Forget? Yeah, it was it was. And I, I would look forward to it all day because I was so unsure about the rest of the rest of the world and the rest of my life. Yes, I was spiraling, and that 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 dinner was like what I looked forward to the most. And this is the point of difference between you and I because I could watch you eat that pizza and not even care. Yeah, you're you're wild about that. It matters more for me to reach my goals. True. Yeah, momentary yeah, you were, you were, pleasure. Yeah, not my um, thing. So what was next? Okay. Not following a structured program. Okay. Okay. So for the ladies out there, I feel like this will resonate on some level because especially in a male dominated environment, when you step into a gym, it's so intimidating as a woman, or it can be depending on the gym, depending on the culture of it. But there's often that feeling of like, I'm uncertain, I'm unsure of myself, I don't really know what I'm doing, and people are going to watch me as I figure it out. So I went to a gym, and I had been doing like hit training, like I knew how to like throw a weight around, yeah. but I didn't know how to do like a structured strength training workout. And yeah, I had like a few introductory PT sessions, but I didn't really feel confident on my own. So I'd walk up to the gym and it just became this habit that the things that I mastered that I knew that I was doing semi-competently, I stuck with them and I yeah. ran with it. And I did the same routine okay, this, for God knows how long. This hits hard. Yeah. I, <laughs> not for me actually, as a coach, as a personal trainer. So there was, I my first gig as a personal trainer was at a good life in London, Ontario. Yeah. And Good life, they've done a good job marketing to everyday people. Like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to be a meathead. You don't have to be a powerlifter. Just come in. It's everyday fitness for everyday Canadians, right? Mm -hmm. But they had this they had this thing called the Fit Fix. Do you remember this? The circuit. Yeah, the Fit Fix the circuit. circuit. So as a personal trainer, if someone were to come in and sign up for like personal training sessions initially, right? This wasn't mm -hmm. a personal training package. This was like the intro personal training sessions. You'd either get three or six sessions. And I shit you not, the goal of it was to take the client through this fit fix circuit. I, I, I branched off. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking train these folks however I want. Yeah. And if they need any guidance on it, I'll help them with these with this circuit. But it doesn't take much coaching to get through this circuit, right? It's like two sets, 10 to 12, whatever. But it was just all these basic machines. You would train some legs, you would train some hamstrings, you train some triceps, some chest, shoulders, etc. And it was this little circuit and it was a pretty easy workout. Now, what would happen is some older folks, untrained folks, people who aren't really gym rats, they don't know any better. They were pitched this and they're like, okay, this works. So they started coming and it was really easy. And one of the best things Good Life did here was that they made it very accessible yeah. and easy and it was at the front of the gym. So it was like the safest spot, mm -hmm. same kind of people will be doing it. It wasn't intimidating, which like now looking back on it, actually a really good job what they did there. Yeah. But what would happen is someone would lose 20 pounds doing it and then they would just be attached to the circuit. And I shit you not, I saw some people doing the same circuit, same weights for three years. For years, yeah. It was just a part of what their routine was. And if you're someone who just wants to maintain some level of activity. That's fine. That's totally fine. Because you're, you're not going to gain more muscle, but you'll maintain your muscle doing that. Because mm -hmm. it's enough stimulus to maintain. Yeah. But these people would be like, what's going on? Like, this worked. But I'm like, yeah, your body already adapts to this. And I assume there was a feedback of 
okay, I'm working out, I'm eating a little bit better, I'm mm -hmm. getting more steps in, all of these things kind of stacked up on each other made you lose around 20 pounds and that's your new maintenance given what you're doing. Yeah. Not realizing you'll have to do more in order to lose more weight. So they didn't understand the structured programs and I saw that so many times and I've seen it so many times in the gym and you, that's exactly what you just said. Yeah, and then there's also... Um so later in my journey, once I actually figured out how to strength train and I tried new things and I did all the hard stuff, whatever. It was when we were actually at Equinox okay. and I just, I had stopped working with my coach. Yeah. And I was on my own again. And I just, I was more focused on 8 million other things. So I was like, I'm just going to do this program that I wrote for myself with a lot of volume and a lot of frequency. You were banging out volume. Oh, yeah. We'll discuss that. <laughs> um, but I just kind of, it's when you like lose your drive and your passion for like progressive overload and your program isn't exciting and you just, you're like, okay, I can do this and I guess I'll do it for however long. And I just found myself doing the same thing week after week after week after week and not really taking stock of the fact that like I wasn't making progress. Yeah. I wasn't going anywhere. I was just going through the motions. And same with you. Yeah, I never, I don't know. I did write programs, but I would never finish them. You never finished them. I was a program hop. They weren't specific. They were non-specific. And like, it's embarrassing as being a trainer and saying this. I didn't understand progressive overload as much as I should have. I didn't. Yeah. I understood it generally. I didn't understand the nuances within progressive mm -hmm. overload. And within that, I would just be doing random workouts or there was times where I was just going in there and winging it. And to opposite to you, mm -hmm. I was trying to increase my weights. I was trying to do more more work, mm -hmm. but I wasn't doing it intelligently. So I would just make large jumps because I was feeling good that day. So kind of too much of what we would call a bottoms up approach. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, hey, how are you feeling today? Let's go for it. Right. And bottoms up can be very useful in the sense of using like RPE, which is yeah. like rating of perceived exertion or RIR. So you're like, how many reps do I have left? That's more of an uh, auto regulated way of Hey, how hard am I training? But I was just like, yeah, I feel good today. Let's go for a PR. Fuck it. It's Tuesday at 9 a.m. And I would do that. And then I had no structure in my training. So there'd be weeks where I was like killing it. And the weeks where I was, it was all or nothing is kind of like yeah. where it would fall back on. And I didn't have, so if I wasn't crushing workouts, I was like, why even bother? So not having a structured workout didn't let me regress to where I was. Mm -hmm. I would, in the program, I would regress to fuck it. Why even yeah. bother? So now with re being really attached to a structured, structured program, I might walk into a workout and be like, fuck, I don't got the juice today. But I can look at my template on Google Sheets and think, okay, here's all I really got to do to maintain. If I could do 70% of this, if I'm feeling like a real bag of shit, I'll be fine. Or you know what? Maybe I'll try to do the same workout and add something somewhere. Just one thing. Not as much mm -hmm. as I would normally do. And it's nice to be like, okay. I can manage that. And then the days where I feel a little better, I might be, I might put an extra, extra rep here. Or I might add some extra load today and use that as feedback. But that's a way better approach in the long run than always going off of, hey, how do I feel? You know what? I can go for a PR today or, you know, severely under training some days and like mm -hmm. overloading too much some days as well. I guess like within the issues of our like non-structured training, it led you to a different sort of path. Uh, I think it does stem in a way from not having your goals all written out and dialed in. Yeah, not having goals is a, a big way to not really know why you're doing what you're doing. You're just... Yes. Yeah, you know, like, and then if, if you have no goals, you might go to the gym aimlessly. Okay, so... you might just not go to the gym. <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> not having goals 
was probably the crux of both of our issues because like we had general goals, just not really specific goals of how yeah. to actually pragmatically get there. Yeah. So for Dylan, that kind of led to what I like to refer to as fancy training. Yep. And for myself, it led to overtraining because, you know, I only had one tool in the toolbox. It was a hammer. And I was like, I, I, if I hammer away for long enough and for enough time, I'm eventually going to get to where I want to get to. Yeah. You, you're a rhino. Yeah. Yeah. I can't help that. But, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, the overtraining was one of the biggest mistakes I made within this whole sphere. And for you, it was getting fancy. Yeah. I think being a trainer for so long and being unstimulated by certain things, I was branching out and trying to find, you know, a a method that was more stimulating and different and all of these things while ignoring the basic principles of exercise. And like, if you want to get jacked, the basic exercises, progressive overload, proper rest, proper, proper recovery and proper nutrition are the recipes towards that. You don't need to be doing a bunch of extra fancy stuff. Super simple. Um, but back to environments, we were, I was at a gym where the environment was more on the uh, quote unquote functional side. Mm-hmm. And that did then lead me to want to do more, more funkier stuff, more fancier stuff, but it wasn't aligned with what my goals were, right? I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to look at, I had body composition goals mm-hmm. and I wanted to build muscle. And I think I just kind of got out of the rhythm and habit of like, the basics that work and then getting better at the basics. And I also maybe thought, you know, there's got to be more. Yeah. But there really doesn't have to be more when it comes to the basics of strength training. There are complexities within strength training programming, but throwing something overhead and being unbalanced isn't going to make you better at absolute strength or building muscle. It's way worse for building muscle, but it might be better for certain contexts, but not contexts that I really cared about. I just thought, you know, more complex equals Mm -hmm. better. Therefore, I'm going to do it. And that wasn't actually how that pans out. So I got a little too fancy with my stuff, neglected a lot of the basics in favor for the fancier things. And that was ultimately not going to get me anywhere closer towards my goals. Well, yeah. I mean, you wanted to like build muscle get stronger in certain movement patterns. And you were just very rotational. Yeah, I was I was really <laughs> obsessed. And this is not to, not to shit on rotational no, work. There's a lot of value in it, especially for sport performance. But that wasn't what I cared about. I just was like, okay, this is newer. This is fancier. This has got to be better. And it, it wasn't. Really basic squatting and, and hinging and pressing and all the all the basic stuffs were really what I needed. But I just, for some reason, bought in this whole functional fitness stuff that the more functional, the more fancy equals better. Well, yeah. And sometimes, you know, even programming for a client, they'll be like a split squat. Really? Like how hard is a split squat? A split squat is as hard as you make it. hundred percent. It really is. If you you, use the right loads, it's uh, fucking hard. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, good luck squeezing out four reps. Yeah. It is what you make it. It doesn't have to be fancy rotational or unnecessarily complex like you don't have to do it on a bosu yeah or swiss ball for it to be difficult or challenging in the right way load progressions are the most underrated yes. progressions in fitness in general for strength and yes. muscle building for sure right a lot of people are like oh i'm going to add in a bunch of extra fancy things you know i'll use some bands bands mm-hmm. are great i'll use some bands pauses are, i'll yeah. use some technique changes all great stuff but load progressions over time is 
going to be one of the most fundamental tools you'll use for progressive yeah. overload. It's just you can't do it linearly forever. Like it's not just going to be no. week by week going up. But over time, and that might be adjusting your rep schemes to introduce higher lows to get more competent with them and then building up reps from there. But that cycle you can use intermittently and, and like undulated all over the place seemingly forever. And I think for some people that just seems too simple. They're like, no, it has to be more complex because fitness has been marketed in such a way that we're like, okay, fitness people I see on social media mm -hmm. are doing backflips and what pistol squats on kettlebells and all these fancy stuff. And I'm like, they might be doing it now, but I'm looking at their physique and I know for a fact they did not build that physique doing this functional stuff. No. They got jacked and then they'd advertise some level of different style of training by doing more functional stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I never got fancy. That was never my thing. I know. I was always like, yo, this, she's a meathead. I like training like a bodybuilder. Yeah. So the problem is, um, and you see this a lot, women are just good at endurance. We oh love God. endurance. We love moderate intensity endurance. I don't want to push myself too, too, too hard, but I'll push myself hard enough for two solid hours. Yeah. That's it's, fine. It's, it's wild. Yeah. So that was me. I am... Um, let's call them moderate intensity strength training work workouts. Like I wasn't pushing PRs. I wasn't pushing as much weight as I should have by any means. I was not progressively overloading anything. Yeah. Um, I was just doing too much of everything all the time. Like I would style. always. Um, so I would train for like two hours, five days a week, plus cardio, plus steps. And I was, that like that made me want to throw up. I know. And I was like, why am I not getting anywhere? This is so frustrating. I'm not building muscle. My lifts aren't going up. What's wrong with me? I um, watched this though. Your proximity to failure was far. It was like a, yeah. You might have been every set you might have taken was like five to six reps from failure. <laughs> I mean, if you're stopping because you're bored, you're yeah. not really working that hard at all. Yeah. Um, mental fatigue is not the goal of strength training no, by no, any no, means. No, not at all. And I think I was training for mental fatigue for yeah. a while, which is fine. But like then I learned, it is. I mean, again, trial and error. Yeah. I had to learn. Yeah. And eventually I learned intensity. Yes. The so intensity, load progressions, those are, because again, back to the point of like yeah. fancy training and like, you know, flows. And things that are, they, they look cool. They're kind of just yeah. choreography with like really low loads, which isn't going to do anything for strength. <laughs> it can be cool. But if you're that far from failure, yeah, why the fuck would your muscles feel the need to adapt? Like your body yes. is always in a state of trying to get back to homeostasis, mm -hmm. which just means to, to the norm. And if you're training with weights that do not tell your body, your homeostasis ain't going to cut it, your body's not really going to need to yeah. adapt. And that's, and that's a good thing because if evolutionarily our bodies adapted to low stimuluses all the time, I don't know if that would be a good thing for survival. No, but I see this all the time. Like I think a lot of women get stuck in the trap of not really training on the scale from like one to failure, but on the scale of like fatigue and boredom. Yeah. I'm just tired now. I'm just glycogen depleted because I've been yeah. doing this for two straight hours and it was bound to happen at some point. I honestly don't know if it's even fair to say women here. I think this yeah. is most gym goers. The people that you might be like young meathead dudes, they yeah. do the opposite. But most people, because I've trained men and female, I've trained like men and women, I've trained mm -hmm. so many people. Most people who are just not gym goers and like really into the gym people like you and I yeah and even you and I we are we love the gym and we were probably still training with too low of intensities yeah right? 
So a lot of people, average gym goers, just think, okay, it's hard, put it down, right? Yeah. It's like, no, no, if you are in this to build muscle or get strong or solicit adaptations from your body, you need to get real close so that your body <laughs> gets that stimulus. Like, okay, we have to then adapt to this. But what also happens is if you train like that, you can then not also train yeah. with the, the volume that you're used to. You're not going to be able to do 10 exercises at four sets if you no. train that intense. You're gonna be like, I only could do like three or four exercises like this. Like what's wrong with me? And like now you're training at a prop appropriate intensity. Mm -hmm. You might not even have to be at the gym as long and you're gonna get better results from this. It's amazing to see the progression over time, like going from somebody who loved being in the gym, legitimately working out for two solid hours, yeah. doing everything, every machine, every movement pattern, everything. Yeah. Now I'm like give me five reps and five minutes rest and I'm out like and this I'm is the tired. most muscular you've ever been I know and I I can't tell you how much I love doing less yeah like working harder and doing less sweet spot yeah that's and that's what so we would call good. effective volume yes not excessive volume where you're just you're banging out reps and sets hammering for the sake away of it, right and honestly for most people if you're like oh I'm gonna do five sets of ten you're just kind of doing a lot of like motor skill practice at that point and you know you're, you're accumulating some volume yeah but how effective is the volume that you're accumulating if you can do five sets at the same weight honestly with like two minutes rest you're probably that means your first couple sets you might have been working with five six seven sometimes even ten reps in reserve when it's like you probably could have done this three sets two reps in reserve and you know what one key thing here is if your last reps look like your first reps you're really far from failure oh my god you're so far yeah because i've <laughs> so seen far people are afraid for any form breakdown and i'm I like know. that is going to be a product of hard training now you don't want the form to break down so much that the exercise changes yes <laughs> but if your last rep looks like your first rep that typically means that you're training with lower loads than you should be or training too far from failure yeah and i see it all the time and learning the skill of building up intensity. Yeah. It takes a while. 100%. It takes confidence for sure. But it is one of the only ways you're going to like make it up that mountain. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you end up spinning your wheels for years. For, for, like you can do it forever. For years. <laughs> so one caveat I want to put in there. If you're someone listening to this and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm training hard enough. I got to train way harder. To Sam's point, build that up. Mm -hmm. Don't go right to absolute failure, which we don't even recommend all the time anyways, but you're going to have to, as a, you're a human first, mm -hmm. right? These are theories. You're a human. You're going to need to build up. You need to build up confidence in doing this. So push a little bit harder consistently. And if you were always try to beat what the weights that you're currently, that you were doing before, and if you do this for long enough, you'll eventually get really close to failure anyways. And maybe practice it in a movement pattern that's like really safe. Yeah. Like you're not going to try out your first failure set on a barbell back squat. <laughs> yeah. um, but maybe you could get away with it on a leg extension. Yeah. Maybe you want to see like, where do you get to the point where you literally cannot push your legs up one more time? See how far you are away from it. Test yourself out. Yeah. And that's the biggest way. Like I actually have done this with clients and yeah. I've written about it where Say we're doing three sets of eight, and I'll be like, okay, how far do you think you were from failure? How many rep more reps could you yeah. like, yeah, you know, I could do like two or three. And I'm like, well, I saw them terminate the set and then just chill with their, like not even be out of breath. They look like they just got off the couch chilling, right? Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, okay, humor me. Take this last set to fucking failure. Gun mm -hmm. to your head failure. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it once for curiosity. Mm -hmm. Bang out an extra 10 to 12 reps. And I'm mm -hmm. like, listen, I don't want you training gun to head failure all the time. Yes. That's wild. 
And I don't think you could even summon that half the time. But if you're telling me that you banged out an extra 10 to 12 when you thought you had two to 10, two to three left, your, yeah. your compass is really far off. This is also why I love rest pause. True. Oh, rest pause is one of my favorite tools to just show my clients like you had a lot more. I know it hurt. I know it sucked by the time you got to that 10th rep. I know you want to be done, but you didn't actually get to failure and or, showing or them yeah. or close and just showing them how much more they actually had left in the tank after the smallest little break. Yeah. It blows their minds. Yeah. It's I, so cool. I've seen it before where you do 10 reps, fit 10 second pause, another 10. Yes. And I'm like, that 10 second rest did not yield did a nothing. full recovery. Because you, if you were like truly at failure with 10 reps, you would need a full recovery metabolically yes. and like in your nervous system mm -hmm. to then do another 10 reps. 10 seconds did not solicit that. So that means you probably had, you probably had 10 Ooh, reps in wait. reserve. I know. Or maybe eight without that little pause. Yeah. Okay. Last thing we're going to talk about. We often look at fitness through the lens of bodies, but we also like looking at it through the lens of your mind. Um, yeah. A lot of the time, the issue in your progress or in your stagnation kind of starts in your head. So yeah. things like the all or nothing mindset, impatience, self-sabotage, and fuck it mode. So that is, we're, so this, to get back on track, yeah, mm -hmm. we're talking about our fitness fails here mm -hmm. and like you and I have both done this excessively. Yes. I've been doing this since I started fitness from <laughs> all in or all out. And my fitness journey started by being all in, yeah. losing 60 pounds at the age of 13, yeah. training four times a day. So that's all in. And then when I got out, I got all out, right? Yeah. And that's been a cyclical pattern of mine throughout my fitness journey. And now I'm pretty much in just in general, and I waver between more and less, right? So I think, was it Sherelle that said this? Was like, you know, I don't have an on or off switch. It's just kind of like you rev up, you turn up the dial, you turn down yes. the dial, right? Yes. And that is a good place to be because you're never off. You're just lower on the dial. And that is super yeah. important because we're not, we're not athletes, right? We're not competitors. Most people listening are probably like, parents or young adults who have jobs and other responsibilities. So you, the dial can't be turned to nine all the time. Mm -hmm. But just because you have to turn the dial down doesn't mean you have to go off. It means you can hover at that dial around three or four for the time being. And then when you're ready again, crank that bitch up to 10 for as long as you can and bring it back down and up. Yeah, I mean, all or nothing, I love saying all or nothing gets you all or nothing, but it really is a form of self-sabotage. It 100% is. We're like, and Dylan will relate to this more than I will in a way. But like you go one gram over your macros and you're like, fuck it. Yeah. And then you just send it. That happens so commonly where people will miss one workout and they're like, I've destroyed all my progress. Yeah. Or they overate at one meal or they couldn't track a meal out. And suddenly we get into this weird place of like, I messed up. I might as well throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. So that's more so been your area yeah, of expertise. For sure. There's, there's been times, like as to my point, like that dial yeah. is on 10 or zero. When like, if every time I had to turn the dial down from 10, I went down to five, I would be so much farther in my fitness journey. Yeah. It blows my mind. So I would be to the point of like when I was at mm -hmm. my, when I got to my leanest points, right? That's when the dial was up on 10. That's when weekends were dialed in, yeah. every day was dialed in, all my workouts were dialed in, et cetera. But then once I'd hit a hiccup, there was sometimes I could come back from it immediately, but most times it would then spiral down and then I would be all out. And I'd be like, why am I even working out? 
you know what? I'm just gaining weight. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose all my results. Monday's a fresh start. Then Monday would come and I'd be like, oh, this hill is so hard to climb. Mm -hmm. And then that would spiral out. And, you know, you don't lose your results in a weekend or a week. But a week or a weekend can then facilitate this snowball effect that has has it trending down and down and down until three, four months down the road. You do you did lose your results. And that can be triggered by a weekend if you allow it to. And a lot of times it is a mindset issue where you're thinking, you know, oh, I lost it, whatever, fresh start Monday. And then that actually consistently happens week after week. And then you're right back where you started. And then you're thinking, oh, it's just that one weekend that threw me off when Mm -hmm. there is some truth to that. But it was the spiral effect from that weekend or week that then put you in the place that you're at three months down the road. It's that feeling of always chasing. Yeah. You're, um, trying to, you're trying to get back what you lost mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, you know, okay, full stop. I'm going to maintain here for a bit. And then when I'm ready, I'm going to maybe get back those results that I lost or lose that weight that I gained. But it's it's like with gambling. Mm-hmm. If you lose, your, if you say you bet all everything on black, you bet like 100 bucks on black and then you lose the next time. Okay, I got to bet 200 bucks on red. And if that happens, I'll gain it back. It's like, no, no, no. Maybe just chill for a little bit. This isn't a perfect analogy because gambling isn't mm-hmm. like fitness. But you can then try to, try to chase the the money you lost or chase the results you lost. And that can actually have you behaving in ways that are going to further your regression over time. Yes. So some people will react more like you. Yeah. So you go one gram over your macros and you go, okay, fuck it. When in Rome. Yes. And then there are some people, guilty, who grasp tighter for control. So anytime I felt like control had slipped from my grasp, I would grasp even tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's not a good thing by any means. That leads to orthorexia, overtraining, undereating. Like you just end up chasing so hard that you end up in a really negative place. I've seen that. But either way, it comes from this like mindset of frustration and impatience and always chasing it feels like you are always chasing something yeah. like you are bugs bunny in a carrot 100% and then you have the, you have an inability to move on yes right and it consumes your whole world yeah i so wish that i could like go back in time and apologize to the younger version of myself that i put through that yeah um waking up every morning chasing that number on the scale spending the whole day chasing a low weigh in chasing my workouts burning calories chasing 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 I the amount of energy you, you spent mentally on that. yes if that energy was just spent on like living my life yeah it's it's enjoying my human experience <laughs> yeah you'd probably be in a better place now right a hundred percent and that's it, hard to put yourself that's hard to remember in the moment It's hard to remember that like there is a level of balance that we're after. And the same way that like, let's say you've been living your life eating a box of pizza a day for a month. Good times. Eating one salad does not negate all of the pizza. Just like eating one pizza doesn't negate all the... Exactly. If you're someone who's dialed in and then, you know, you go for a couple of beverages, have a couple extra, some finger foods, etc. Like... If what you do on an average basis is not that, then that doesn't really matter. Just like if what you do on an average basis is not exercise and not really, and eat a lot of like hyper palatable processed foods, eating some fruit and some veggies here and there is a good thing, but it's not going to then override what you do on a daily basis. So I think what I'm getting at is that my number one fitness mistake overall was in chasing a result and not a process. It was 
like I should have been focused on a lifestyle that I was creating for myself, not the result that would come from it. So this is a bit poetic because I didn't even think about this. Same. Yeah. And that chasing a result always over a process. Yeah. Basically led to all the mistakes we talked about. Every mistake. Yeah. I didn't want to live like a balanced lifestyle that would like make me better. Yeah. I wanted to look a certain way. And the, the, the irony is like, I did a post about this a little bit ago. Like the best results are results that are just symptoms of your process. A hundred percent. And if you're someone who like, you know, my lifestyle and my process is that I work out three, four times a week. I prioritize protein at my meals. I get my steps in when I can. Mm -hmm. And if I have a piece of pizza, I fucking enjoy that piece of pizza. And you know, if I have a second, cool. But it doesn't then trigger me and eat in the box. Mm -hmm. And I don't avoid it. That process and lifestyle, the symptoms from that will typically be reduction in body fat or maintenance mm-hmm. of weight, right? You're it's going to be it's less likely you're going to gain a lot of weight while doing that unless you're trying to. Stronger in the gym, mm-hmm. more energy on a consistent basis, better relationship with your body and food. The things that you're looking towards, mm-hmm. those will be symptoms of what you'll what you'll be doing if your process is as such and your lifestyle yeah. is as such as well. And honestly, the cost of maintaining that low of a body fat percentage year round. No. It cost me a social life, my mental health, my relationship with my body, relationship with food. Like the list just goes on and on. It wasn't worth the cost. No. And I still wasn't happy in my body. That's the funniest part. Like even being that teeny and tiny and shredded. Yeah. Still wasn't happy. And it cost me so much. Well, there's nothing. I've never seen someone who like, you know, when I got to 10%, like I'm I'm good now. Like life is no. fucking peachy. But that's just not really how it works. Yeah, and we've talked about that at length because a lot of times we'll think that happiness or fulfillment is at the end of a a fitness goal or looking a certain way or even a financial goal, right? Um, And it rarely is the case. I mean, if it was the case, that would be strange, like just mailing it in. Oh, you know what? Lost 10 pounds. We're good. Send it. I don't know. I just think it comes back to, again, what sacrifices are you willing to make? And are they your enjoyment of your human experience? Do you know what I mean? Because now you're not going out or being social because you have to be so adherent to your diet. Yeah. Um, you're living a lifestyle you don't even enjoy or want to be living to be adherent to a diet. Yeah. You're 100%. still not seeing the progress that you want. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's to the worst part. When you're doing diet. that and then not even receiving it, which yeah. is kind of the, the position you were in when you were in Vancouver. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a hard lesson to learn. Mm. Oh my God. But it did take me listening to someone other than the cyclical thoughts in my head. Yeah, and that's the value of sharing these things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be with a coach. It could be with your partner. It could be with your friends. Finding a community somewhere where you can share these things. I have always found that thoughts trapped in your head are of magnitudes worse than once you share them out loud once. And sometimes you can have these things looming around your head, Mm -hmm. around diet, around your body. And then if you were to just say them out loud once, especially to someone who truly cared about you, you might then immediately be like, wow, that doesn't even make sense. I was letting that destroy my day, Mm -hmm. let alone week. And then you might have someone in your corner who'd be like, yeah, like I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. I just want you to let you know, like that's not even true. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think I be where I am today without the support that I had. Like even with people like you to talk to, you know what I mean? Like 
just being able to talk to someone about it, even if they're not your partner, yeah. just another human being to get their perspective on it, it can change yours. It can be really powerful. Yeah. And yes, we all have to go through our own form of adversity and trial and error and learning what's best and what works and what doesn't. But if there's anything <laughs> we can teach you today, it's that support might make all the difference yeah. in figuring out the little areas in which you might be going wrong. Accepting help, yes. seeking support, sharing whatever yeah. struggles you're going to, you have. And also realizing like you're not alone in them. Like I have been a trainer for almost nine years. Sam's been in the fitness kind of space for, for years and been a coach yeah. for a couple. And we still struggle with certain shit and some shit that we're kind of embarrassed about. Like I was embarrassing to like share openly. Like I didn't really understand progressive overload as much as I should have, even though I was a personal trainer. So we all have that. No one yeah. in this space has it all figured out. The mistakes, you know, they're they're a product of reality. They will happen. The key is not to not make them. The key is to learn from them. And that's what we hope you take away from this episode where you can realize like, hey, you know, we all make mistakes. Here are some stories from Coach Dylan and Coach, Coach Sam that they learned from. And, mm -hmm. you know, they reflected on a little bit funny at times laughing at it and they learn from it and you know I can do the same thing too. And maybe it's time I reflect on my mistakes and try to learn from them and not avoid mistakes, but learn from them. Yeah. And that's always the goal, like to learn from it, to do a little bit better tomorrow than you did yesterday. Yeah, That's all there is to it. Like the worst thing that I did was um, tenaciously hold on to my rigid dogmatic beliefs like a dog with a bone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so learning from other people. Yeah. Really life changing. Absolutely. And learn from yourself. Yeah. So uh, thank you for listening to today's episode. Hopefully, if you, if, you, if you got some value from it, leave a review, share it with some friends. That would really help us. And thanks for listening and supporting us. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. And if you ever want to share your story, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. You can reach us on Instagram. I am uh, at coach underscore Dylan DaCosta. You are at Five Elements Coaching. That's probably the best place to reach us there. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Until right, next time. Cheers. Cheers.